So, what is Jesus doing? That's a question you should be asking all the time. And we've said that Acts is, is what Jesus, Luke was what Jesus began to do and teach. Acts was what Jesus continued to do and teach and is continuing to do and teach. So what's Jesus doing now? So we look at Acts to see what he did then, to see what he might do now. And here's my question for you. Who do we trust? Just a small question. Who do I trust? Who do you trust? Really? Uh, one way you can ask the other question is, who do we fear? Um, and who do we host at our house? Not only this house, but who do you have at your house? Um, so let's see, this, this week I, I have my nephew and his family at our house overnight. Last week I had my, my sister and family at, at the house. We had a welcome lunch for like the young adults at our house. We had a Bible study at our house. We had a group of team supporters at our house this week. Um, so it was fun to have a, a lot of hosting this week. Um, but I want you to think about who you have hosted in the last week, month, the summer. Who have you hosted overnight or for a meal or just stopped in? Okay, think about that. Who will rescue us? Who's going to save us? And now you're going to say, from what? Well, you know from what. You know what you need to be rescued from, what you need to be saved from. And who do you trust to rescue you from that? And, of course, the real question is, who rules? Who is in charge? Who has the most power? And those are uh, simple questions, maybe, but maybe not so simple questions. Questions that we can give... Uh, Sunday school answers to, but our, how do we actually live it out? Um, so, the good news is we have somebody we can trust. And we're going to look at who that is and how that is. So, we've been following Paul's missionary journey. Um, he started while he was in Jerusalem, and then they brought the news from the Jerusalem Council up to Antioch. He and Barnabas said, let's go, do, let's go share the news. And they just couldn't decide who was going to go together. So Barnabas went this way and with Mark, and uh, Paul went this way with Silas, and they went to all these churches that he had visited before, picked up Timothy along the way, and then they, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let them go this way or this way, and they kept going and not going, knowing where to go. They got here, they didn't know where to go. That seems to be where they picked up Luke, because in the book of Acts it starts saying, we, and then God called them to Macedonia. So last time I preached on Acts, we talked about God's guidance and how God guides us. So, um, and he told them to go to Macedonia. Now, we should update, right? So Syria, now, you've probably heard of Syria. You've probably heard of Aleppo. You heard of Syria? Anybody? What, what is this called now? Turkey. That's right. And what's this called now? Greece. So Macedonia is where, um, so, now those countries still exist. And there are still some people going from Syria to Greece and Europe and taking boats across like uh, Paul did. And one of the questions they had was hospitality or hostility. So when we think about Missions, I think we have a certain mindset that gets us into Paul's mission. And as soon as we put missionary label on it, we get into a certain mindset. But what are they going to find when they get 
So Europe. So lots of people get excited about, no, this is an anachronism, right? Because Europe wasn't Europe then. This was all Roman Empire. These were different parts. So let's, quick history on the empire. So Philip, which Philippi was named after, was the father of Alexander the Great, who conquered all of this and made it one territory. And then, of course, the Romans took over the Greek Empire. So now this is all the Roman Empire when Paul is coming along. It's all Roman Empire, so it's not really moving uh, to a different country, but it is moving to a different people group. And uh, a lot of people, so, but they were going into what we now call Europe, going from Syria where they started. Um, so they say this, Luke says, we boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. This is kind of the same place that these guys are sailing across, uh, Syrian refugees coming to Greece now. And you know there's been a flood of them. So we sailed a boat, a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace. And the next day we landed at Neapolis. From there we reached Philippi, a major city of that district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we stayed there several days. <clears throat> what does it mean that it's a Roman colony? It means that these people get the same citizenship rights and it's treated as if this is Roman land. Do you remember Paul and... Paul is from the colonies. He's from the places that Rome conquered. And so he is now coming from way out there, the colonies, back toward the heart of the, the, the Greek empire, Alexander the Great's empire. And also, this is a Roman city with lots of retired legionnaires, lots of retired army Romans who are there. And they are proud that this is Rome. This is just like part of Rome. All right, that's going to come up later in the story. We stayed there several days. So just a little reminder, there's still migrants, still people who move around. In fact, we have for the first time ever had 100 million forcibly displaced people in our world. Just 2010, it was 41 million. But with Syria, with, with well, we can go down the list. A lot of things happen in a lot of places. Um, Ukraine, so there's... 7 million from Syria and 7 million from Ukraine, and an equal number internally displaced within those countries. And of course, where have most, one of the big countries, the biggest country that's hosting these refugees, uh, biggest number one country for refugees, not any place in Europe, it's Turkey. Because um, they have a lot of Syrians. In fact, most of the refugees are in neighboring countries. So um, if you look at the top 12, one of them is in Europe or the West. Um, so. People also move voluntarily. Sometimes people like Paul and, Paul and Silas moved voluntarily. Some of you came here because you had to leave where you came from. Some of you came here because you wanted to come here. Some of you were just born here and you never figured out any place else to go. Um, some of us were born here and went other places and decided to come back here. Um, or the Holy Spirit led you one way or the other or closed some doors or opened some doors. But um, I think we get a little mixed up in who is a missionary because we've got a certain particular thing Remember that the gospel comes to Europe now in Acts. And then, the, of course, the barbarians, those northern hordes, invade Rome. And then somehow when they take slaves away and up into northern Europe, they actually get saved. And by 1500, there's a lot. The, 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 there's a lot of Christians in Europe. And, but it's kind of locked in. And then God gives them some boats and some other. He blesses them in some ways. And they start going all over the world. So migration from Europe to the European empires and the colonies happens, including... America, um, from 1900 to 1950. And then, 
pretty much the migration shifts into reverse. And now it's mostly migration to the European, sorry, that should, to the European empires, yes, from the colonies, from these other places. So what is Jesus doing? Now, Jesus was doing stuff when the, the colonizers were going every place and we were part of them as missionaries. We were tagging along. And, and he's also doing stuff when people are coming back to the places where European people sent them from, right? God is up to something. You believe that? I believe it. I believe God is doing stuff, but we might miss it if we have particular stereotypes. Like, a missionary is somebody who goes voluntarily with lots of money to bless people from the empire to those people. It could be that a missionary is somebody who, like Paul, who comes from the outskirts, from those people, and he comes in to, toward the center of the empire. And then how will he be received? How will... Ah, so... Just a question for you. Do you trust Jesus enough to move from where you're at or to host somebody who's moving? Um, how will people respond? Will they respond to Paul with hostility coming from out there or will they host him, his group? Well, we're going to find out. And Luke shows us when he comes to Philippi, in Philippi, how Jesus saves three different people, three very different people. We're going to look at those stories. It's a, it's a, great, a great story, these three stories. Um, so let's go there. On the Sabbath, <clears throat> we went a little way out the side of the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. And we sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. Now, you know Paul's normal mode of operation is to go to the synagogue, right? He goes to the synagogue because he's a Jew and he's a rabbi, and he goes there and he talks to people, and he would say, hey, why don't you say something? You're a rabbi. Uh, there's no synagogue in Philippi because you have to have 10 Jewish men to have a synagogue. Obviously, there's not 10 Jewish men. There's only a few women. And maybe there's some men, but not, not enough to have a synagogue. And so turns out there's a woman there from Lydia from Thyatira. So Thyatira is also in Turkey, or Asia as it was called then. Um, and she is a worshiper of God. She worshiped God. She's a God-fearer. In other words, she has not converted to Judaism. She really likes Yahweh. She really likes God, but she's not ready to go all the way into this becoming a Jew thing. So Paul goes there, and one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth, who worshiped God. As she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. I want you to notice two things there. They spoke up and talked about Jesus. But it was the Lord that opened her heart and helped her to accept it and changed her. So a lot of us don't want to talk about Jesus because we don't know what's going to happen. We're not sure how people will feel about us. But it's not up to you what happens. It's just up to you to listen and talk and meet, go meet some people someplace and mention Jesus. It's up to Jesus to open their hearts. He opened her mind. He opened her emotions. He opened her heart. She and her household, that, that means she had some kids. She's definitely had some, some 
people working in her house and uh, maybe with the business, and they were uh, baptized. And she asked us to be her guests. She said, if you agree that I'm a true believer in the Lord, that I really have trusted Jesus, come and stay at my house. And she urged us until we agreed. So one of the first things that happened when she got saved was hosting, hospitality. That was a sign of being a Christian. She urged them, please come stay at my house. And it must have been a pretty big house because there was at least four of them. And they were all able to stay there. <clears throat> So she hosts them. So they got some hosting when they, got, when they first got there. I don't know where they were staying until now or if they were sleeping on the street, but they got some hosting and uh, were able to stay with her at her house. Now, who rescues? Jesus opens a heart and a mind. It will help us a lot to be able to witness into overflow if we remember that it's all about Jesus. It doesn't depend on us doing it right. We just have to bring the message. Our part is just to listen, to speak about Jesus, and to host people. Anybody able to do that? Or maybe one of those? The listening part's a good one, an important one. Wait, don't forget to talk about Jesus. So, continuing the story, that's one person who, one day as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She learned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. <clears throat> so, um, this is a spirit. It's in, the, in the Greek, it talks about a python spirit, which connects it to the oracle at Delphi, where there was this snake. And, and basically, she's speaking on behalf of this spirit. And, the, and, and, the, and it's telling people their fortunes. So, she is a slave of these people. And they make a lot of money because people want to hear about what the future holds. Could you tell me about this? Could you tell me about that? And so they make a lot of money because she is able to fortune tell, or at least they think so. Luke doesn't tell us how accurate she is, all right? But she has a spirit. Now, this is not unusual in the world. Um, this is not unusual in Korea. I see some nodding. It's not unusual in Africa. It's not unusual a lot of places in the world. It's not unusual here for people to be looking up there. And, and even in surprising places that I, you know, discussions in my youth group in Redwood Falls, other things that, that people are want to know what the future is, so they ask somebody. And then especially somebody who know the inside scoop, the, the, the spirits, right? So in Africa, uh, in Tanzania, let me just go where I know the best. Northwest, northwestern Tanzania, people are, are, are you know, a, an ancestor will come on somebody or speak with, then you go to that ancestor, that person, and they will uh, divine, and they'll maybe um, kill a chicken after, they, after you've spit on it and done some other stuff, and, then, and tell you what that chicken says, or they'll speak, thank you, directly on behalf of the ancestor. They will speak on that person's behalf. Okay, so, so people filled with spirits are not unusual. So, um, Let's read the next sentence. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High, and they've come to tell you how to be saved. That sounds like a good advertisement, right? And this went on day after day. Until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. 
So Paul just got exasperated. Not clear if he was just exasperated because she was annoying and loud, if she was exasperated because of her condition and the, the situation she was in, but he was upset, annoyed. Um, so let me tell you about my shirt. It's over 20 years old, um, but there's a little story behind it. Um, when I was in Tanzania, I was talking to my, the deans who I still work with over there, and uh, we were talking about uh, spirits and different kinds of spirits and, and, and uh, demons and ancestors and other jinn and other things. And, and anyways, they were talking about casting out this. And, and I said, yeah, you know, I, um, I've written a couple papers in seminary about, about uh, spirits and spiritual warfare. And I believe in demons because the Bible teaches about them. But I, I've never cast out a demon. And they said, what? You're a missionary in Africa and you've never cast out a demon? How can you do that? I said, well, pray for me. So uh, a few months later, uh, Grace showed up. And normally when demons showed up in church, it was a matter of a little bit of prayer. Or they'd, take, they'd take them off into another room and they'd pray for them for a while, maybe, maybe a few minutes, maybe a few hours, maybe a few days. But this, uh, there were a number of jinn, uh, genies, Muslim uh, spirits that were not coming out for, for Grace. And there was a continual... So she was staying at Pastor John's house. I lived next to Pastor John's house, which was next to the Bible school and the church. And so I would go over there every once in a while and... and yeah, I got a chance to try out all the stuff that I'd read in these books. And, and uh, um, it was kind of interesting because often it seemed like she would just, uh, like when she saw me or somebody else, then the spirit would take over and just take her off someplace else and say, you know, and, and start talking through her. And I won't go into details, but um, kind of Neil Anderson type stuff of, you know, Grace, why don't you tell the, well, at one point, everybody's saying, Toko Hajin could leave in Jesus' name. And, um, uh, you know, and, and then the demon would say, well, you know, she's got something of mine. I can't leave until she's got. So then we talked to her and said, you've got something that you've got hidden someplace. Something like, no, I'm like, okay, forget that. And uh, one of the things that John and, and the others taught me is you don't listen to demons. They said, we used to go and pray for people. And then the, the demons would say something about, well, this person has been in adultery and you know that they shouldn't be here. And then what? You didn't tell us about that. Pretty soon everything's all messed up and confused and. Like, don't listen. To so the demon would say, oh, give me five shillings. And we don't negotiate with demons. We don't talk to demons. Just leave. And um, so, uh, and so eventually, actually, Grace, in some ways, did more of a self-exorcism of learning to take authority and say, you know, that's not who I am. This is who I am. I gave her a list of, you know, who you are in Christ. And she, her, she, she, her eyes wouldn't focus on it. Anyways, it was a process. But, and she was on her deathbed, actually. She was very sick. I forgot to tell you that part. And uh, they had given up on her in the hospital, and, and she was a nurse, but she, um, anyways, God delivered her from this demon, and she got well, and she started living there and, and uh, blessing people, and she, and uh, so, and eventually, Grace made, made me a shirt to say thanks, and, and all my family, and uh, so, but what I learned was a lot of, a lot of stuff, but one of the things was John Wansley and the others were not, like, concerned that, you know, another time somebody was, uh, they, they were not afraid of demons. They're not concerned about demons. They didn't talk to demons or negotiate with demons. Um, and people locally actually were neutral about spirits. Like if it's my ancestors, they're probably on my side. That's probably a good thing. And spirits can, you know, tell you things. And that's a good thing. You could, you could become an umganga, a diviner, like this woman, and you could make a lot of money because people would come to you and, and want to know things. Um, and so... The, uh, but 
for the Christians, it was like, you know, this is another spirit. We don't listen to those spirits. But the thing is that people are so interested in what's hidden that they want to know. So unfortunately, there are preachers in Africa who when somebody shows up a demon, they bring them a mic. And they say, oh, tell us about that. And if the, if the person says, oh, this preacher is really powerful and he's really, yeah, tell us some more. Oh, there was all these fire around. Yeah, tell us some more. Sometimes, sometimes they never get to the Bible. You get so many chances listening to the demons tell you things. Now, demons tell the truth a lot of times. The point is to get you to believe something that's not true. Because even if a demon tells you the truth or, or, or heals you or does something else, the point is to get you to trust something other than Jesus. They'll give you life to take away your eternal life. So don't listen to demons. People love to say, well, this demon said this and that and this other really inside information. Now, in America, we don't have any of this. We're just spiritual. I'm not really into religion. I'm just spiritual. Listen, folks. Spirits are not to be messed with. You think that you can be spiritual instead of religious, meaning you get to be in charge and pick your spirit and do this and pick, you know, eight of the Ten Commandments and six of the eight ways of Buddhism and just kind of pick and choose and be in charge. You're not going to be in charge. Spirits might let you think you're going to be in charge. They're going to give you power. Gonna, you're not going to be in charge. You're going to end up in bondage. That's the way it works. Either Jesus is Lord and you're in the kingdom of God or you're in some other kingdom. The kingdom of self, the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of society. So, we don't have to worry about demons. They're just angels. They're not the creator. God made all the spirits. Some of them are rebellious, a lot of them aren't. We don't have to worry about them. We don't have to listen to them. And so Paul just gets a noise and says, come on in the name of Jesus. And it's not a big negotiation. It's not a big whatever. It's just like, you know, enough of you. And the Spirit comes out. Then things get worse. So, who do you listen to? Only listen to the Holy Spirit. Do not listen to other spirits. Whatever kinds of ways they might talk. Whether it's a really scientific or a really spiritual or a really exotic or a really American or whatever kind of way. All right? Jesus has all the insight and power that you need. You don't need to go anyplace else to get extra information or extra power. God has it all. He created it all. So, this is what happened. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. In fact, in the Greek it says, her, the demon was cast out and now their chance of wealth was cast out. <laughs> So they grab Paul and Silas and drag them before the authorities at the marketplace. Don't mess with my money. Everybody knows better than that, especially if you're an outsider. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews. They shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. These are illegal aliens doing bad stuff. A mob, a lynch mob, quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped 
and beaten with wooden rods. Stripped, naked, beaten, bloody. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks so there was no way they could sleep. Just keep them uncomfortable. A little more torture. So, who rules? Powers or Jesus? Doesn't look like it. Ever notice that sometimes it doesn't look like it? Right now, it doesn't look like it for Paul and Silas. So who rules? Your purse? The economy? You mess with the economy, people are going to mess with you. You mess with people's money, they're going to mess with you. And let me tell you, what makes your decisions? Can I afford it? Or does Jesus want me to do it? I admit that I often make my decisions on can I afford it? Not does Jesus want it. Sometimes Jesus wants me to do things I can't afford. Sometimes he wants me to do, not do things I can afford and use it for something else. Um, what about pride? The empire and ethnocentrism. You notice what they say? These Jews are here doing illegal things that us Romans are not allowed to do. That was enough to get everybody livid. Those outsiders are not like us. We're Romans. They're doing illegal things. That from there, there wasn't even a real trial. Didn't have to investigate anymore. They just, that just flared up that pride, that ethnocentrism, which means that my ethnic group is the center. And we define everything from who we are. You following me? Yeah. And then, of course, the powers, the spirits, the invisible powers. So the economy is a power. The empire is a power. It had, it had its own uh, gods, right? So ethnocentrism. So pride, purse, or the powers, who's in charge? A lot of times, we're afraid those other things are in charge. Anybody a little afraid that the economy might be in charge? Jesus is in charge. So, um, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They couldn't sleep anyways. It's a good thing to do. What? Praying and singing hymns? I don't know what they were praying. Maybe they were praying laments. Maybe they were, uh, you know, singing, Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Oh, he wrote that later to fill things, didn't he? But anyway... He was joyful the other time he was in prison, so I don't know what they were saying and what they were praying, but the whole prison is listening. Paul and Silas weren't necessarily trying to have a church service, but the whole prison is listening to them and how they handle suffering. So one of the things I want you to pay attention to is you can trust Jesus. He doesn't promise you no problems. And when you get problems, don't say, oh, I can't trust Jesus anymore. Look at this. He never promised you no problems. In fact, he said, follow me, take up your cross. Maybe that's why they're singing, because they get to follow Jesus, be stripped naked and beaten like Jesus, despised and rejected. Anyway, they're 
praising God, singing hymns. Maybe it's laments. Maybe they're crying out to God. I don't know what they were singing. It doesn't tell us. But they were focused on Jesus. They were trusting Jesus in the middle of their situation. And let me tell you, one of the best ways to witness is when it's bad and it gets worse. Because now people are watching to see who you actually trust. You had that Jesus talk stuff, but now when you lost whatever, when I honestly haven't had it that bad, naked, bloody, in a foreign jail, but they were trusting Jesus. Suddenly, it was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Turns out, Jesus is in charge. Yeah, hallelujah. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! Why didn't he run away? Paul didn't need to run away. He had Jesus. Jesus hadn't told him to run away yet. He had to stay and do some witnessing. The jailer woke up to see the prison door. He assumed the prisoners, so he said, don't kill yourself. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before, before Paul and Silas. He, he got the message. Rome's not in charge. Somebody else is in charge. What must I do to be saved? And I was trying to think about salvation. What is it to be saved? And I think salvation has become too religious a word. Because the reality in Scripture, it's people were rescued. They were saved. They were saved from bondage in Egypt. They were saved from J Jesus Sozo. He saves people when they're, when they're sick. And, and what is it you need to be rescued from? Now, he says this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. Now, I want you to be sure to pay attention that Jesus has forgiveness for your sins and eternal life, and you should trust him for that. Trust him for everything else also. But make sure that you don't just trust him for everything else, but you actually trust him for eternal life and, and salvation. But what did, the, what did the, woman, the girl we just saw need to be saved from? She needed to be saved from that demon, right? This guy needed to be saved from suicide. He needed to be saved from, from some uh, moral injury. What am I doing here? I, we don't know all that he's saying, but say, saved is a big word, okay? I don't want you to make it a little word. Like it's just about heaven. God wants to save you from everything. Not from no trouble but really save you, rescue you from all of it. Believe, trust in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Can you hear that from me today, from Paul today? Trust him to save you, to really save you, along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him. They shared the message with him. Are you ready to share the message with somebody who asks you? Are you ready to just... Somebody says, you know, I got this issue. And you can, can I pray with you about that? Maybe just a quick two-sentence prayer, just so they know God cares about them. You believe God exists and he's ready to help them.
This guy asked him, what must I do? They said, oh, here you go. And then he shares more about the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. So the jailer got to wash them up and he, they got to wash them from their sins in the household. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. So when you thought about who you'd had in your house in the last few months, how many prisoners were in there? Well, when he became a Christian, first thing he did was welcome a prisoner into his house. And um, hospitality is one of our key characteristics. We're a house of prayer for all nations. That house is that hospitality. We want to be that hosting kind of people because that's what happens when people get saved. In Philippi, anyways. They all... Um, sorry, brought them in his house and set a meal before them, and he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. They trusted Jesus, and they had joy. There is joy. Now, I'm not really hoping that Jesus is going to call me into that particular kind of ministry. It's kind of a hard way to get into the jail to do that ministry, but they did it. Um, the next morning, the city officials sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, hey, the city officials have said you and Saul are free to leave. Go in peace. Go quietly. Um, but Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison, and we are Roman citizens. Now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. Paul's having a sit-in. I'm not moving till the police show up and that I want the judge. I want the top guy to come and tell me that it was okay for him to beat a Roman citizen without a trial, which it was not. So now who's illegal? <gasps> the officials are like, oh, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. Then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. When Paul and Silas left the, the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. Yeah, we're leaving. We just want to make sure that everybody's okay. There they met with the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. So it's okay to use your citizenship for the kingdom. Paul was less concerned about his wounded pride and more concerned about this church that had the reputation of being connected with these guys who got na naked and beaten publicly and they were rabble-rousers. And Luke's trying to make the same point, that these are not rabble-rousers. They should be given their protections like uh, other citizens. You following me? It's okay to demand your rights, to demand them for the sake of others as well. And those of you who are American citizens, we have a privileged citizenship because we have a huge army that people are kind of afraid of. So they tend to let us into places that they wouldn't let other people in. And we get to vote about things that other people don't get to vote about. And we get to uh, send money places that other people don't get to send money. Use your citizenship for the kingdom. Uh, your American citizenship for your real citizenship in the kingdom, all right?
So let's think about this church. There were very different people in this church. Lydia is a wealthy Asian businesswoman. Of course, it's not surprising that it was somebody from Asia who welcomed some other people from Asia first. Um, she's not from there. The slave girl, she's probably Greek, maybe, maybe local, not, not clear, but she's formally demonized, right? So she probably had a little bit of a little reputation. People were like, hey, you know, there was this thing. With, I... And then this middle-class Roman jailer, right? What kind of a mix is that? That is about as different a mix. And I want you to notice these are the most diverse group and also probably the most despised, at least for good Jewish people. There's not a Jewish person in the bunch. Thank God I'm not a Gentile or a woman or a slave. That was a daily prayer for Jewish men. All of these are all, all of those things. So somebody uh, said to me, you know, I, I like your church and we came for a while, but I, I, don't, I don't know if we want to really be, uh, you know, I'm not sure about your vision, if we want to be with the down and outers, you know. You seem to be kind of for the down and outers. And I thought about that and I thought, our vision is a house of prayer for all nations. The nations are bringing us wealth. I mean, Luke, Dr. Luke, and Gamaliel-trained Paul and Silas, these are, these are great people to welcome from the nations. They weren't down and outers. And yet, they were seen as and treated as outsiders. I want our church to be a place where down-and-outers can show up. I don't think of you all as down-and-outers, though. Because you all have gifts and things that you bring, and I'm like, which down-and-outers are you talking about? But some of us have to see past. He said, I want to be you know, a place where we can be comfortable, we can invite our friends. I'm like, who are your neighbors in St. Paul? Aren't they people like this? You know, so by the way, Last week I said something, you know, maybe a little derogatory about seeker-sensitive churches and churches where birds of a feather flock together and everybody's kind of the same. That's okay. Different churches have different calls. And if that's their call and if they want to introduce people someplace where everybody is kind of the same and feels comfortable, that's all right. I, I don't mind. The main thing is we have to cooperate together and be, be working together with all the churches in the city and the suburbs and, and everything, Okay. But that's not our call as a church. We're not called to be comfortable. We're not called to be with people like us. We are supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. That's our particular call in this city church. And it's not a new thing. People are like, well, that's not natural. That's weird. I've never heard of a church like that. Well, it's, look at Philippi. We're not new in this thing. It's happened before. So, you are welcome at our house. You might be sitting here and you'd be like, I am, I'm a little uncomfortable. I don't know if I fit here or not. Listen, you are welcome at our house. As long as you trust Jesus, you belong here. And you are welcome to belong even if you don't believe yet. All right? If you're here and you're just checking us out and you're not sure about, and if you're online and you're checking us out and you're like, I don't know about this stuff, not sure about that message, Hey, come be part of us. We got people who are still figuring out if they, if they can really trust Jesus. If they can really trust us. That's all right. Hang out. See what, see what you think. And I want you to tell those of you who, are, who do kind of 
feel like you belong here, bring your friends. Your friends who don't believe yet. Your friends who are like, yeah, yeah I don't know. Just say, you know, come and see what it's like. Might not be as weird as you think. We're actually pretty friendly to most people. You have been friendly to me, which is amazing. So um, you're welcome to belong. So who do we trust? Who do we fear? Who do we house at our house? Because that tells us some of who we trust. Um, who will rescue us? Who will save us? And who really rules? Lord Jesus, we are grateful that you are the Lord Jesus. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. You are our Savior. Lord, we have a lot of things we want to bring to you, a lot of things that we need salvation from. We need salvation from our sins, our errant ways. We even need salvation from the other things that we trust in. Would you help us? And Lord, would you help us to be your church? Would you help us to be brave enough to listen to people, talk to people, host people, Tell people about Jesus. Because we trust you. We trust you to do good things in people's lives. Would you help us to be bold about our witness? Just saying, hey, and tell you about Jesus. You know, we, you know, people have suspicions about church and about lots of other things, but we would just want to tell people about you, Jesus. Would you help us to, to see you clearly? to trust you deeply and to trust that you can our, take our fumbling attempts to get to know people and say some things and listen and you can do stuff that's way beyond. Would you help us not to trust our citizenship, our money, our other things that we might want to lean on? Would you help us to trust you? We need you to keep doing that work in our hearts so that we will trust you in deeper ways, Jesus. And Lord, for those who are here who haven't trusted you yet or who are online, would you help them to lean in and listen and would you show yourself to them? And would you help us to be a welcoming people, a hosting people, a hospitable people, Lead us where you want to lead us. To the places that you want. If that's by the river, or on the streets, or in the jail. Would you lead us where you desire? And would you lead us to welcome those who you desire? In Jesus' name. So, Amen. go. In the name of the Father of us all, who loves us. Jesus, our Lord and Savior. And the Spirit who sends us and empowers us to be a blessing. Go to share good news and to welcome someone. Amen.